morning again. (laughs) Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 2, verses 13 to 23, page 784 in your pew Bibles. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. morning. Uh, Let's start with the video. It was unusual, but very nice, because they meet us, arranged everything for us. They made stickers with English and Ukrainian words. They gave us a list of some expressions with the translation, and they welcomed us very well. They're here because it's a safe place, and where they are li- where they were living is no longer a safe place. It was very difficult to go. Difficult and long, but everything is fine. My husband is in Ukraine. And my brother. My mum and dad are there. They're old. I think every time that we felt sort of a bit nervous or scared, I, you know, I thought to myself, if I'm scared sitting in my own house, speaking my native language with my job and my income and my own surroundings, how do they feel? <laughs> like it's a whole nother level. So imagine having to wake up in the middle of the night, packing up whatever you can to leave your home and country, 
This was the experience of Joseph, Mary, and, and the baby Jesus. Much like the six million Ukrainian refugees, Joseph and Mary, in fear of what may happen to their son, fled Bethlehem and made their way to Egypt. They were on the run because King Herod, or Herod the Great as he would title himself, heard from a group of magis that there was a new baby born who would be the king of the Jews. Historians have remarked on Herod, Herod the Great as he was known to be a very insecure, ruthless leader. The fact that he had to call himself the Great, right, like Sam the Great, right, like that, would, that just says, right, uh, maybe uh, he has some uh, secure or, or you know, uh, self-esteem issues there. He was so paranoid that and he would go to extreme lengths to keep his power, that everyone, uh, he thought everyone was just after his throne. When Herod's brother-in-law was becoming too popular, he had a drowning accident in a pool that was very shallow. He killed suspected officials who were conspiring against him. He wrongly suspected two of his sons and had them strangled to death. And on his deathbed, ordered the death of his other son. So he killed three of his own sons. He was worried that no one would mourn for him when he died. So he said, invite, he told his, uh, his um, subjects to invite a bunch of distinguished men and have them kill, killed so that they would cry at his wedding. Or not at his wedding, at his funeral. So you can see why King Herod would have reacted the way he did. When he heard that there was this going to be a new child born in Bethlehem who would be the Messiah, the king of the Jews, that the people of Israel had been waiting for. He told the Magi to go and find him and tell him where he might be so that he could also go and worship this king. And remember, Herod was the king of Judea, so any threat that was related to his kingship with religious undertones was a huge threat to him. The Magi finds and visits uh, Jesus, but then in a dream is warned of King Herod and goes back home a different way and avoids Herod. So it's with this background that we see Joseph having a dream from God with a warning that Herod is going to search for Jesus to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what, what, what the Lord has said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Here Matthew quotes Hosea chapter 11 verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew quotes Hosea to relate the story of Israel with that of Jesus. Just as Israel was considered God's child that he loved, and just as Israel was a nation that God rescued out of Egypt, here, Jesus is God's child who he loves, who will also be called out of Egypt as God's son. Herod hears that the Magi did not come back, and so he was furious and ordered all the boys in Bethlehem under the age of two to be killed. Now, this story isn't recorded anywhere else by, but the Bible. But scholars believe that Bethlehem was a small town, and the number of children that would have been killed would have been around a dozen or so. And since Herod was so vicious and, and ruthless, the historians only, and, and the historians only recorded events that impacted you know, pol, uh, the politics and the courts. 
So such a low number wouldn't have mattered. It would have been, yeah, that's what Herod does, and it's not a big deal. It does, however, fit with who Herod is and was and what he would have done. Matthew equates this incident to another prophecy by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Have you ever heard that phrase, there is nothing like a mother's love? It's a response to the kind of love a mother has for their child. We know that the love of a mother is, is strong and fierce and good. And because of this, the pain of losing her children is so heartbreaking and hard that here Matthew relates it to the passage from Jeremiah. There's weeping and great mourning. The mother Rachel is weeping for her children and is, is refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The pain of a loss of a child is something I, I don't even want to imagine. It is a pain that I would never want to experience. And yet here we see the ruthlessness of Herod, who in his insecurity and paranoia murders these children. These unnamed children the historians did not think worthy of writing about is remembered in the story of Jesus. Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31.15 to not only express the sorrow and pain of those who lost their children, but to speak of a time in history of Israel in exile, it is a message of hope in the midst of sorrow. Though Jesus, as a refugee, has fled to Egypt, though there is death of children and utter sorrow, in the midst of such pain and suffering, there is still hope of what is to come. Jeremiah 31, 15 to 17, this is what the Lord said, a voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is what the Lord says, restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy, so there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. Jeremiah gives this prophecy to the people of Israel in the midst of their exile. In the midst of their deportation and living in Babylon, God gives them a word of hope. In the midst of Rachel mourning and weeping for her children, there is hope. There is God says to Rachel, restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. There is hope for your descendants because your children will return to their land. So what Matthew does here by quoting Jeremiah 31.15 is to allude to the hope that is beyond their weeping. It is to point to the readers of Jesus' uh, situation, the loss of children, to the hope of this future where God will be with them. <clears throat> As some of you know, uh, Spring Garden has been hosting the Ukrainian Welcome Tea once every two months with, in partnership with an organization called NeighborLink. It's been a way of providing refuge and welcome, uh, a welcoming space where Ukrainians can gather together and to support one another. And many are here not with a desire to stay, but to eventually go back home. They're waiting with hope to return back to their homeland. 
And we don't know how long it was before King Herod died, but after his death, Joseph was told in a dream to go back to uh, his home because King Herod was dead. But because Herod's son became king of Judea, Joseph decided to settle in Nazareth in the district of Galilee. Matthew says that this was done to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. So far, we've seen how Matthew has quoted different Old Testament scriptures that relates to Jesus' flight to Egypt. Here, though, there is no direct Old Testament uh, quote that Matthew quotes. Here, Matthew is speaking in broad, general terms of the kind of Messiah or Savior that Jesus would be. See, to be called Jesus the Bethlehemite would have been much better than being called Jesus the Nazarene. Since King David, <clears throat> excuse me, who was, expect, who was the expected savior, was supposed to be from Bethlehem, so that's not bad to be called Jesus the Bethlehemite, but because Jesus settled in Nazareth, he would have been looked down upon just because of the place he was from. Nazareth was a small, no-name town that no one knew about. Moreover, it had a bad reputation to the point that one of his disciples later would say, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, Nazareth? Really? And if you notice that there's this contrast of two kings in this passage. One is of King Herod, and one is of King Jesus. One who is brutal and ruthless and in his paranoia and acts, out of, uh, uh, acts in injustice, who grasps at power and tries to keep it at all costs. The other is an unassuming babe, born to a lowly carpenter and his wife, vulnerable, helpless, who needs to run away. Not only that, he will settle and grow up in a town <clears throat> excuse me, called Nazareth, a despised area of Galilee where nothing good comes from there. So what is Matthew doing here? What is he trying to say about this new kind of king in Jesus let me read you from this one quote from a commentator named Matt Woodley on this passage, and this is what he says. He says, Matthew wants to know that despite despotic rulers, political refugees, ethnic hatred, the slaughters of the weak, and the tears of heartbroken parents, nothing escapes Emmanuel, the God who suffers with us and for us. God with us comes to places of violence and grief, Bethlehem, and places of insignificance, Nazareth. At the same time, Matthew insists that this loving, vulnerable God is also the powerful, sovereign Lord. Even in the midst of human rebellion, hatred, and violence, God's plans have not been thwarted. It has been 676 days since, start, since the start of the Ukrainian war. There doesn't seem to be an end in sight, and other conflicts have come in the way in the news, and now the Ukrainian war just feels like old news. Yet to Jesus, this story isn't old. This story isn't forgotten. The predicament of those who are suffering, those who are homeless, those whose stories are not newsworthy enough. Jesus, the Nazareth, the God of nobodies from the place of nowhere, is there with the very people who the world has forgotten. And this is the reason for hope. 
Our hope is in the reality that God has come in the person of Jesus to identify, to be part of the story of Israel, and in turn with all people. Jesus is the true Moses who is called out of Egypt. Jesus is the true Israel who also enters into the places of exile. Jesus is the true son of God who is faithful. Jesus is the true king who will reign with justice, love, and sacrifice. Jesus identifies and enters into the history of Israel and enters into the history of our lives and redeems it because he loves us. Matt Woodley goes on to say in his commentary that Matthew quotes four different Old Testament passages in Matthew 2 to remind us that the entire story of God's people in the Old Testament is being lived in the events of Jesus' life. And because of this, history, even our personal history, so littered with betrayals, failures, and losses, cannot overwhelm the hope of God's story. Did you know that there are at least 32 live conflict, conflicts happening in the world right now? According to the Council on Foreign Relations Global Conflict Tracker, there are currently 32 ongoing conflicts worldwide. And the tracker categorizes conflict into three groups, worsening, unchanging, and improving. Of those worsening are the Israel-Palestine conflict, the war in Ukraine, the war in Afghanistan, violent extremism in Sahel, the civil war in Myanmar, the confrontation over Taiwan, the instability in Haiti, uh, the ethnic conflict and violent resource competition involving uh, ethnic militias in the uh, Democratic of Republic of Congo, the power struggle in Sudan, and the instability in Pakistan. When you just hear that, it just fills at least my heart with hopelessness. There's just so much conflict going on, like, will it ever end? But I believe it's in the midst of this kind of hopelessness that we need to be reminded of Jesus who was a refugee. We need to remind ourselves that in the midst of rulers and kings, in the midst of unjust and corrupt leaders of nations, in the midst of governments and systems that are oppressive and least to the mourning of Rachel, we have a king, a ruler, who was a refugee. We cling to the hope of a God who plans, whose plans are not thwarted. We cling to the hope of a king, unlike Herod, a king named Jesus who rules and leads not with obvious power and might, but rather in humility and service, who washes the feet of his disciples and gives up his own life for his subjects. A king who enters into, the, into our stories, into the stories of the conflicts and wars of this world and points us to the cross. This is the king we worship and follow and we hope for. And because this is the kind of king we follow, we as his followers, followers are to be people whose ethic and politics reflect that of the kingdom. We're to be people of peace, justice, and love. We're to turn the other cheek, pray for our enemies, and to be people of the cross. It is being able to see our King Jesus in the worst places and cruelties of humanity, that there is no one or nothing that cannot be redeemed. It is living with this hope, caring for the one person, trusting that God is doing something new, that God will bring life out of death 
that King Jesus is with us. For those of you that were here last week, we heard the story of the, of the refugee family that we sponsored 40 years ago. If you haven't seen that, I don't, I don't actually say come and like watch our you know, live stream or, or past YouTube stuff. I don't care. I care in the sense that I care that, we, that, uh, that you hear from God. But if you haven't seen it, I, I encourage you to just check it out to hear the story of how 40 years ago, a group of people from Spring Garden uh, sponsored a refugee family. And then 40 years later, they came back here to share their story of how it's really, to me, a legacy of kindness leads to this fruitful hope uh, of, a, of a thriving future. When it doesn't feel like, what does helping one refugee family out of thousand matter? Well, it does. And we saw that last, last week, 40, year, 40 years later, right? And to me, the amazing part of that story isn't just the fact that we help someone else. But by us helping them, we thought we were just helping them. We ourselves were blessed through that. It's not actually about us just, you know, going down to the lowly to help them. Rather, it's recognizing that in our help of the lowly, that we ourselves are lowly and in need of Jesus. And that when we serve in that way, we are being the hands and feet of Jesus, yet we ourselves are being blessed through it. So we've already heard Carrie and Debbie talk about different ways you can, get par- you can participate. And you could be part of that story 40 years from now of how you've been uh, not just a blessing, but been blessed through your service. So uh, that's my little plug, but also the reality of how we have an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus as some of you know, for the last year, again, I've shared that we've been hosting the Ukrainian Welcome Tea, and having been at a few of those, it's just been amazing to see how the people can come together in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their pain, of, of just that people matter, right? There are just faces, there are numbers that we see in the news, but when we see people in, in the flesh, you just recognize the the. Just, just the power of, of hope in the midst of um, suffering. These Ukrainians who are really refugees and homeless are able to come together and be able to uh, be um, family to each other in the midst of this um, harsh time. And yet to be able to be part of welcoming and, and showing hope has been amazing to see. So we have some pictures of our times together. Oh, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, it's, it's been a way of bringing people together, but it's been uh, a, a reminder that in the midst of Rachel's mourning, that in the midst of living as a refugee, that Jesus is with them, that our kindness are just, hey, here's a space for you. Here's some cookies that we bake for you, that it leads to just that piece of Jesus being there with them. So I encourage you um, that whenever you see a place of mourning, whenever you see a place of hopelessness, that those are moments that they can be opportunities where you can show the hands and feet of Jesus. But lastly, I do want to end with a question of what this means for yourself. What does it mean to let Jesus into your story? 
what are the places of hopelessness or pain or, or places of, of mourning that you need to let Jesus into? As Jesus entered into the history of Israel, he also wants to enter into your history. Will you let him in? Let's pray. King Jesus, we thank you that you show us a different way, a way that's different than sometimes what we think should be, what seems like how you should lead as a king, that you should use force, power, might, and, and um, really um, violence. Yet, Jesus, you came as a babe. You came to show us a different way. And sometimes we don't want to see that kind of king. We don't want you to be that kind of king. And we don't want to follow a king like that. So help us to reflect when we do feel that way and to um, really break into our own pushback on why we feel that way. What is causing us from submitting to a king like you? And what is it in us that you need to redeem, that you need to enter into so that we can bow down to a king like you? And Jesus, you as a refugee is a reminder that you are with the poor, with the lost, and that those aren't people that are just out there, but that is ourselves. And that you enter into our places of hopelessness, places where we are poor, and, um, and that you are with us in it. So enter in, Jesus. Be with us and help us to cling to the hope of who you are. And give us the hope that is needed to to be kind, to love, and to serve those around us. And we cling to the hope of who you are, Jesus, that you are a king who serves, who washes the feet of his disciples, turns the other cheek, and dies on the cross. Yet you are a God of resurrection. So we look to you. And we have hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.